Last week, we had the great joy of hearing from our dear brother and church planter, Nick Kidwell, and today, as we have said, we have the great joy of participating in the send-off of Valley Creek Church in Malvern. And so following the sermon today, the Kidwells and all of those who are participating in the church plant will join me on the stage. What a glorious day this is. I wanted to alert you of one additional way that you can serve the church plant next Sunday. They're going to have their first Sunday morning meeting next Sunday, and we would love if everyone who is participating in the church plant is able to be a part of that service. In order to make that happen, we need eight people to volunteer to serve in children's ministry at Valley Creek Church next week. And so we have a table in the lobby uh, that you can sign up there following the service. That would mean that next Sunday you're there uh, watching kids helping in children's ministry so that all of the adults are able to be a part of that historic first Sunday of the meeting of Valley Creek Church. I also wanted to mention, and Andy included this in the prayer, it just so happens in the kindness of God that this weekend we have had five brothers here from other Sovereign Grace churches in South Carolina, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, and Arizona who are preparing to plant Sovereign Grace churches, and they are participating in a cohort that Andy has been leading, and um, these guys are sitting up here in the front row. It is such a joy to have uh, you guys here. So Gabriel and Jeremy and Perry and Jason, can I have you brothers stand? Let's just welcome these brothers here with us today. Please turn with me to Acts chapter 14, and I'd also like to invite Cindy Smith to come forward for the reading of God's Word. Uh, I want to use this opportunity in our church family to talk about the priority of church planting in our mission and in our future as a church. By the grace of God, we've planted some 15 churches throughout our history, and my hope and my prayer is that God would use this day, this church plant, to inspire us to plant even more churches in the days ahead, and that each one of us would embrace our part in that mission that God has given us for the glory of Christ. And so to do that, we are going to hear from Acts chapter 14, and Cindy, who is participating in the church plant, is going to read God's word. But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. But when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up and entered the city, and on the next day he went on with Barnabas to Derbe. When they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Then they passed through Pisidia and came to Pamphylia. And when they had spoken the word in Perga, they went down to Italia and from there they sailed to Antioch where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had fulfilled. And when they arrived and gathered the church together, they declared all that God had done with them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles, and they remained no little time with the disciples. 
Our sermon title is Planting for Christ, the send-off of Valley Creek Church, and may God bless the preaching of his word. It was in 1859, on the afternoon of Tuesday, August 15th, that the foundation stone was laid for the Metropolitan Tabernacle in London. A 25-year-old pastor, Charles Spurgeon, addressing the crowd of some 3,000 people that day, lifted his voice and said, God sparing my life, I will not rest till the dark country of Surrey be filled with places of worship. Surrey is South London. He said, it is only within the last six months that we've started two churches, one in Wandsworth and the other in Greenwich, and we will do so to the 100th time God being our helper. Spurgeon was expressing a desire, a dream, that the newly constructed Metropolitan Tabernacle be used by God to plant 100 churches in and around London. His prayer was that this new church building be used to bring many more churches into existence. And Spurgeon, of course, if you're familiar with his ministry, you know he was not motivated by numbers, nor did he confuse numbers with success. He wasn't so much setting a a strategic numerical goal in that moment as he was expressing his desires and his hopes for the future. This was during a time of great revival in London, and the young Charles Spurgeon was a man of faith who sensed the winds of the Spirit were blowing, and he pondered anew what the Almighty can do. Spurgeon's pastor's college had already started and it had as its goal raising up pastors and church planters and Spurgeon himself was always on the lookout for where new churches could be planted. Those who had a longer trip to get to church, Spurgeon said, would be served by a smaller church closer to where they live and this would promote the spread of the gospel. So some Planters went to residential areas, others went to poor districts, but the mission was to plant and build local churches for the glory of Jesus Christ. A year and a half following that original foundation laying ceremony, the church started to meet in their new building. It was 1861. Over the next five years, they formed 18 new churches in London alone. By 1870, that is within the first 10 years, 50 churches had been planted by Pastors College men, and in the late 1870s, by that time, over 130 churches had been planted from the Metropolitan Tabernacle. When Spurgeon died in 1892, over 200 churches with their own buildings had been planted in and around London from the Tabernacle, with others being planted throughout the world. Charles Spurgeon was not only the prince of preachers, he was a master of mobilizing people for mission and was skilled, brilliantly so, in organizing systems to carry out that cause. Spurgeon started a monthly publication. It was called The Sword and the Trowel. And the reason he did this was in large part to give information on new churches that were planted to tell their story and to let Christians know how they can participate in supporting these new works. In one sermon at the tabernacle, Spurgeon said, So long as souls are saved, we had sooner send them out to other places than to retain them 
for our church is large enough already. I love that energy. Let's get people saved and let's get people sent out for the mission of the gospel. He also said, and this was in a sermon to his church, it is with cheerfulness that we dismiss our 12s, our 20s, our 50s to form other churches. We encourage our members to leave us to found other churches. Nay, we seek to persuade them to do it. We ask them to scatter throughout the land to become the goodly seed which God shall bless. And then he says this, I believe that so long as we do this, we shall prosper. Spurgeon knew that the sending church is a prospering church. The church that sows in abundance will reap in abundance. Starting new churches is not easy work. It involves great sacrifice. It involves great cost. And we are today aware of the cost that is involved. But so long as a church prioritizes church planting, we shall prosper. And here's the question I want us to consider in calling attention to Spurgeon's example, what led Charles Spurgeon, in the midst of all his many responsibilities, to give such a high profile to the work of church planting? What was it that inspired and informed Spurgeon's church planting dream? What is it that sustained his church planting efforts throughout his life? The answer, it was what he saw in the Word of God, the Scriptures, and what he saw in the book of Acts in particular. In one issue of The Sword and the Trial, Spurgeon wrote, the Christian church was designed from the first to be aggressive. It was not intended to remain stationary at any period, but to advance onward until its boundaries became commensurate with those of the world. It was to spread from Jerusalem to all Judea, from Judea, from Judea to Samaria, and from Samaria to the uttermost part of the earth. The plan upon which the apostles proceeded, and the great apostle in particular in his mission to the Gentiles, was to plant churches in all the great cities and centers of influence in the known world. What do you see in the book of Acts? Churches being planted, and Read the book of Acts and it will leave you wanting to plant churches and to be involved in this church planting mission. The book of Acts is all about what Jesus continued to do from heaven's throne, following his perfect life, his substitutionary death, his victorious resurrection, the gospel, the message of salvation by which we are saved. That's the message that is spreading. And what we see in the book of Acts as Jesus continues his activity, is that the gospel is spreading as new churches are being planted by the Lord of the church. Christ died for the church. Christ promised to build his church. And he keeps that promise because in Acts we see Christ building his church through the planting of new churches. Earlier in Acts 13, while the church in Antioch was worshiping the Lord and fasting. They were led by the Spirit to send out two of their finest leaders, Barnabas and Paul. When it comes to the work of sending, we do not send the leftovers. We do not send those we have no use for. We send our finest. 
And this is what the early church had done. And in chapters 13 and 14, there is a record of their travels as the gospel spreads to the Gentile world. The goal of their mission, what did they do as they went? Their goal was not only to preach the gospel, it was to plant and build local churches. And in this passage, in Acts 14, we have an extraordinary record of Paul's unwavering zeal and resilience in the work of planting churches. It is an account in which Paul is almost killed. While Paul and Barnabas were in a small town, Lystra, in AD 46, there were Jews who came from Antioch and Iconium, we are told, traveling over 100 miles to come and oppose their efforts. And they succeeded in influencing the people against Paul. And we cannot rush through the second half of verse 19 without attempting to imagine what this moment was like. They stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. Paul would later recount his many sufferings, and in the context of describing his imprisonment and lashings and shipwrecks, in 2 Corinthians 11.25, he says, Once I was stoned. And it is that instance that our narrative in Acts 14 is describing. Consider how this must have felt. The pain, the humiliation, the anguish. Imagine the great apostle as he stands there before an angry mob with stones being thrown at him, repeatedly pelting his body as he now lays on the ground a victim of mob violence and brutality. They drag his limp body out of the city and leave his body there, supposing that he was dead. He is near death. He is thought to be dead by all who saw him, supposing he was dead. Now the question is, were they correct? Was their assessment of the situation accurate? No, they were not correct. As Mark Twain is often credited with saying, the reports of my death have been greatly exaggerated. They supposed Paul was dead, but they were dead wrong. And how often the world has looked upon the church of Christ, supposing it to be dead. Even how often faithful churches and Christians have thought themselves useless and have supposed all aspirations and dreams to be dead. But when the disciples were told, gathered around him, he rose up. They thought he was dead. They supposed that he was dead but they gathered around him, and in that moment, he rose up. Paul opened his body bag from the inside. He said, you all can stop digging my grave now, put your shovels away, send back the casket, cancel the funeral. God had other plans, and by the power of God, he rose up. He rose up, bruised, bloodied, and he walks into the city. It's like something out of a movie. Rises up, walks back into the city, and is like, yes, I'm still here. Stoned, left for dead, walking back into the city, 
We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. And this is to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. His is the power, and He sustains us and strengthens us to show His power at work in weak vessels like us. David Peterson says Paul's return to the city was a sign of God's care and deliverance and all how God has cared for us and all how God has delivered us in so many ways. It's a sign of God's care and deliverance and an expression of Paul's own trust and confidence. The very next day, we're told, Paul goes on to Derby with the gospel, 58 miles from Lystra, where he preaches the gospel of Jesus Christ, and there are many who believe and become disciples, verse 21. He rose up, and he continued the mission of planting churches. He's not going home. He's pressing on through southern Galatia with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it is his example. Why do we have this example recorded? His example is to inspire the church of Christ today so that whatever the circumstances of the church, we likewise are to rise up and plant churches, bringing the same sacrifice, bringing the same zeal, bringing the same intentionality, the same resilience to bear in the mission God has given us. Now, I want to share several aspects of our church planting strategy today to share several aspects of our church planting dreams for the future. And so in the remainder of our time here, four points. First, we desire to establish healthy churches. We desire to establish healthy churches. Our goal is not just to plant churches, it is to partner with these churches and to care for these churches as they grow to maturity. In our text, you see Paul and Barnabas return back to the churches in order to provide care for the churches. Verse 22, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith. They, they, what they do in their travels is they take a longer, they could have taken a much shorter route back to their sending church in Antioch, but instead they take a much longer route back to that starting point because they cared about the health of these churches. They recognize that there is theological and ethical instruction to give. Uh, they recognize that there is equipping for suffering that must occur. Verse 22, through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. Those words tend to carry extra weight when you have the, the bruises and the broken bones from recently being stoned. And they recognized that there were local pastors to be appointed in verse 23. Paul and Barnabas were not just trying to go to as many nations as possible or trying to do so as quickly as possible. They were looking to plant and build mature, healthy, gospel-centered churches that would stand the test of time. And this is the reason that they visited these churches on numerous occasions in the following years. There was a, a young man named John Chapman who in the 1700s started apple orchards in New York and Pennsylvania. And as new territories opened for settlement, he became one of the first to explore Ohio, Michigan, Indiana, and Illinois. 
For 50 years, John Chapman roamed the land, and everywhere he went, he planted apple seeds and grew apple trees. He became known as the Apple Man or Johnny Appleseed. He was basically like the Apostle Paul of apple orchards. And his work was done with, with great care. It was a challenging work, but he brought great care to bear. He did not just go around throwing seeds. He selected good locations. He cleared the weeds and the brush. He tended to the ground. He made a protective barrier to keep out animals. He carefully planted seeds in rows. And even then, John did not abandon them. He returned when he could to care for these young orchards, uh, to, to repair fences, to tend to the soil. His goal was not simply to plant It was to bear lasting fruit. And likewise, our goal is not just to plant, but to see lasting fruit. We care greatly about the future and the health of the churches we plant. Our our desire and priority, and there are many methods of planting churches, here at Covenant Fellowship, our desire and priority is planting churches that are not too far away from us. That is in part so we can more easily remain connected in vital partnership and continue to serve younger churches. And as we send out churches in our region, as we send out Valley Creek Church today, we continue to care greatly about their health and their flourishing. We love the churches that we plant and we desire to serve them and strengthen them in any way that we can because our aim is to establish healthy churches. Second, we desire to identify and train church planters. These churches in southern Galatia would have never come into existence without Paul and Barnabas, and our ability to plant churches in the future depends in part upon faithful and gifted pastors who are called to plant churches. Jesus himself said the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. And this we find to be especially true when it comes to church planters. Here at Covenant Fellowship, we have a great need for church planters. To be clear, it takes many people making sacrifices and many people being involved to plant a church. But it is essential to have a church planting pastor who leads these works. And so we are praying that God raises up men who not only aspire to pastoral ministry, but who are gifted and called by God to plant churches. In the kindness of God, we have on our pastoral team many men serving here as pastors at Covenant Fellowship. What we need are church planting pastors. One of the believers who was saved at Lystra was a young man named Timothy. Three years later, Timothy would be recruited by Paul to serve him in his apostolic mission. But there were yet more church planters and more pastors to be identified and trained, which is why Paul says to Timothy in 2 Timothy 2 verse 2, what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. This is a crucial part of my job description of anyone who is a pastor. The job description of a pastor is to identify and train pastors, preachers, and church planters. And I can't help but to believe, as I've prayed 
in a number of ways for how God would use this particular service, this particular moment in our history together as a church. I can't help but to believe that there are some godly and gifted young men here who are called to plant churches one day. And if you have considered or wondered about pastoral ministry or church planting, talk to a pastor so that we can celebrate that desire, so that we can consider what God might be doing and how we might help you grow into a future church planter just as God has done for Nick and for many others in our church family. We desire to identify and train church planters. Three, we desire to envision every member for the broader mission. In verse 26, after they show up at Antioch, where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had fulfilled. Look at this picture then in verse 27. And when they arrived, so they're back at the church, and gathered the church together, they declared all that God had done with them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. So the entire church is gathered. They're gathered not to hear a sermon, but to hear an update. The entire church is gathered together, eager to hear all that God had done through the people that they supported and sent, the people they are in partnership with. And so Paul and Barnabas share with this church not all that they did. That's not how mission updates ever work. That's not how the telling of our history ever works. It's not all that we did. Verse 27, all that God had done with them because he is the one who is at work. And so we say, church, see what God is doing. See how God is answering your prayers. See how God is using your support. See how he's using your giving. Churches are being planted. Pastors are being trained. Churches are being served. Lost sinners are coming to know the glorious Savior. The gospel of our Lord and Savior is going forth in power to the ends of the earth. The whole church gathered together because the whole church was involved in this mission and in this partnership. Every member needed to hear and know how God is using their local support of extra local ministry to accomplish great things for the gospel. And this is why you may wonder, even in the pastoral prayer, why do we have pastors who are, who are traveling elsewhere, who are serving in various ways. It's not because we're seeking to build an empire. We're not building a name for ourselves. We care about the churches. The kingdom of God is larger than Covenant Fellowship Church. And so we as a church want to be aware of all that God is doing outside of this particular church and the ways he's using our efforts to accomplish that glorious mission. This is why we have mission updates. This is why we believe every... You as a church, understand this, as a church member, you must be informed and envisioned because it is your sacrifice. It is your labors. It's your prayers, your sending, your example that makes this possible. This day, the send-off of Valley Creek Church is only possible because of your participation and your service and your prayers and your giving and your example as members. If you have been coming here for some time and you have yet to join as a member, I want to invite you to get in on the mission of what God is doing. We have our new members class, Explore, starting, is that next week, Andy? 
Next week it starts. You can join in as a member, take that class, be a part of all that God is doing. Our church planting mission is not the work of the few, but the work of the many. And every church needs to hear reports of what God is doing elsewhere. Every church needs to hear of the churches that are being planted. You can believe that you will hear updates in the future of what these brothers who are here with us today are doing in the future. Why? Because this is the broader mission that God has joined us to, that we are a part of. And as we hear these updates, it has the same effect that it did in the church in Acts 14. It encourages our hearts. It binds us together. It envisions us for planting in the future. We desire to envision every member for the broader mission. And then fourth and finally, we desire to see God open doors. There is a phrase in verse 27 that I want to highlight. They declared all that God had done with them. And here it is. How he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. Did you know our God is in the business of opening doors? Meaning, he goes before us. He creates opportunities for us to share the gospel and to plant churches. He opens doors. He he produces fruitfulness. He saves the lost through the power of the cross. He sends his spirit to revive, to energize his people. He opens new doors for mission work locally and among the nations. And God has opened doors for us in the past. He has presently opened this door for a church to be planted in Malvern. And we believe That by his power and in his goodness and in his faithfulness, we believe he will open more doors in the future. Because God loves opening doors for the gospel to advance. That more and more lost sinners might turn from their sin, might turn from trusting in their good works, and place their faith in the one who died in the place of sinners to place their faith in the one who absorbed the wrath of God that we deserve, that we might be saved. God opens doors. God is on the move. And Paul uses this same phrase, the open door, elsewhere. 1 Corinthians 16, 9, he says, a wide door for effective work has opened to me. That's what we pray happens in our future in the realm of church planting. A wide door opening for effective work. And in Colossians 4 verse 3, Paul asks Christians to pray that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ. Pray for doors to open. Pray for the spirit of God to move. Church family, I want to invite you. I want to plead with you to join with me in dreaming big and praying big for the future of church planting in covenant fellowship. We are praying, we are praying for a spiritual harvest of many new church plants. We are praying that God raise up from among us an army of church planters and church planting teams that the gospel might go forth in power in this area. We are praying for God to use us to reach lost sinners. We're praying for the winds of the Spirit to blow upon our efforts, to establish and expand the work of our hands, all that the glory 
of Christ might be exalted in our lives, in our church, and in our area. Will you pray with me? Will you dream big? Now to him, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we can ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Amen.